Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Our first reading came from uh, Jeremiah, and it's in a section of Jeremiah that's called the Little Book of Comfort. I kind of like that. It's uh, chapters 30 through 33. And it's called the Little Book of Comfort because it, it offers a word of hope in what is mostly a lot of gloom and doom. Pretty much the rest of Jeremiah is all gloom and doom and, and uh, negativity to the point that everyone pretty much rebels against Jeremiah. But the word we hear today is a word of hope. And the book of Jeremiah was written to people in exile who had been taken into Babylon in 586 before the current era. The Babylonians swept down from the north and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple of God and burned it to the ground and desecrated the Holy of Holies. And then they cap took people into captivity and exiled them to a foreign land in Babylon. And this is the context in which Jeremiah writes this word of hope. And in it we're told that someday, someday a new king would rise out of the line of David and that God would fulfill the promises to Judea and to Babel and to Jerusalem, to Judah and to Jerusalem. And they expected that. They waited for that. It, it is the hope they held on to while they were in captivity. And lo and behold, a, a generation later, they came home in the late 6th century. And they did rebuild the temple and they reestablished Jerusalem. It wasn't a very nice temple. It was kind of a, it was kind of a, a, a poor man's temple. It was very, very austere. It was built on the cheap, basically. It wasn't quite as glamorous. It wasn't quite the vision that Jeremiah had laid before them. But it wasn't long before they were caught in the crossroads of another war. And sure enough, pretty soon, they were a conquered people again. 
Alexander the Great was taken over the world and the Macedonians came in and took over Jerusalem. And once again, they were a subjected people. And it got even worse when the Seleucid king uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes took over and outlawed Judaism and again uh, desecrated the temple, slaughtered a pig on the altar of God. How insulting, how devastating that was to God's people. And so they looked to the words of Jeremiah and they thought maybe Jeremiah was talking about someone else. <laughs> maybe Jeremiah was not talking about the king we had when we came back from the exile. Maybe Jeremiah was talking about someone else. Maybe Jeremiah was talking about the kind of Messiah that would be that would have a heavenly army, not blood and bones that could be hurt. And so the people began to look through scripture and find hope and the idea of a coming Messiah who would rescue them from their oppression, who would vanquish their oppressors, who would reestablish the throne of David, who would bring Israel, Judea, Judah, Jerusalem back to its once glory like in the days of David when David was on the throne. They prayed for that day. They longed for that day and they saw in the text of the Old Testament promises for that day. And then in comes Jesus. And for the followers of Jesus, they saw in Christ the fulfillment of all of those expectations. Jeremiah is talking about Jesus. Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Psalms is talking about Jesus. Malachi is talking about Jesus. And they saw in Christ the fulfillment of their hope. A new day. The peace of God. Although not everybody saw it that way because again they were waiting for a mighty Messiah who was going to take back the throne and yet here they were still under the thumb of Rome Jesus was born into yet another occupation yet another oppressor and Jesus died and rose again and Rome was still in power so you can see why people would think that's no Messiah <laughs> Jesus is nice and all uh, he's got some good ideas but you don't go and you know Rome shouldn't be able to kill our Messiah <laughs> oh but he didn't die he rose again on the third day and Luke tells us this story today. And Luke offers us what is really important to know about this Messiah. And what I want to say about Luke is that Luke wrote in a very difficult time as well. 64 CE. 
Rebellion broke out among the Jews in Jerusalem. In fact, all of Judea. Rebellion broke out. They'd had enough because the Romans were the Romans were denying them basic rights and the Jewish aristocracy was also getting rich off the poor and enough was enough and a group of people mounted up a rebellion and even the the captain of the temple Eliezer led the charge took over the temple and of course, Vespucian is not one who's going to put up with a rebellion. He, he, sends, he goes out himself, sent by Nero, to squash this rebellion and starts uh, attacking towns on the way all around Judea, on his way circling into Jerusalem. And as he does, people rush into the city to get away from the slaughter and when I say slaughter, I mean slaughter. When Rome put down a rebellion, they didn't just give warnings. They slaughtered women, children, cattle. They slaughtered. And so people ran to the holy city. People ran to Jerusalem because they had hoped and they knew that maybe this was the moment when God would send the Messiah. Maybe this Elysier guy. They were going to kick Rome out. And so they gathered to Jerusalem. They held up tight there and they prayed really hard. And they learned hand-to-hand -hand combat and they made weapons and they prepared for the legions of Rome to come and take over the city and they got darn close and then word came to Vespucian Nero had killed himself committed suicide and all of Rome was in chaos so 68 Vespucian broke off his campaign went back to Rome and after a whole lot of hubbub was made the new Caesar but he didn't forget. <laughs> he didn't forget about his unfinished business in Jerusalem. And so he sent his son Titus with a huge army. And they came to Jerusalem. But instead of going in and quickly executing their orders, they built a wall around Jerusalem and lay siege for two years. They held the people in Jerusalem. Now remember, everyone from the countryside had run to the city. So the place was over-packed. It was like Salt Lake in 2002. Do you remember? <laughs> the place was packed. And the Romans cut off food, cut off water, cut off access to any goods. People starved to death. The bodies were piling up. And the hopelessness caused people to survive by doing unspeakable things. And the dead continued to pile up in the streets. Finally, after two years, tore down the wall and went in. It was utter slaughter. 
and they burned everything they saw. Finally, they got to the temple. The only one they captured was Eliezer, the captain of the temple, to take him back and execute him in Rome. They burned the temple to the ground, and after the whole city had been burned up, they knocked down anything that was left upstanding. They didn't want anyone to even know Jerusalem had existed. And then Vespucian outlawed Judaism, which included Christianity at the time. Christianity was still part of Judaism. They outlawed it. And they would not allow them synagogues to be built. They would not allow people to worship. And they took the tax that used to go to the temple and they forced them to give it to honor the Roman gods. They took all of the accoutrement in the temple, they loaded it up in wagons, and they dedicated it to Roman gods. The menorah, the table of the, the bread, the altar. Where is the hope a situation like that? You know, for Jeremiah and the people in exile, the hope was that a new king, a new Messiah would come. For Luke, the hope was, and I've got to tell you this, every New Testament writer thought Jesus was coming any day now. And so for Luke, when he writes these things, when he writes after the destruction of Jerusalem and he's looking around and people are asking, where is our hope? We hear from the mouth of Jesus in the midst of suffering, that's when God is going to break in. Amen? In the midst of despair, that's when God is going to break in. In the midst of darkness and hopelessness, in the midst of ugliness and despair, that's when God is going to break in. And for Luke, what that represented was what he'd hoped for, what he thought was going to happen was that Jesus was going to come again. And he was going to be that military Messiah that everyone was hoping for, right? right? Like They were kind of disappointed in Jesus the first time. Maybe the second time, Jesus will have that sword in his hand everyone was talking about. You know, uh, can we get the right Messiah this time? But of course, that didn't happen, did it? That didn't happen. So again, I'm left with the question, well, where is our hope? In a world where we're waiting for Jesus to come again and Jesus didn't come again. Where do we find our hope? I guess the first place I, I, go, I turn to is the fact that, you know what, we're still here. Here we are. Worshiping together. Praying together. Acknowledging the name of Christ together. Reading the words about Jesus 2,000 years later together. Where's Babylon? It's gone. Where's Rome? It's gone. I mean, the empire's gone. Rome's still there. It's gone. Where is Macedonian Empire? It's gone. Where's Antiochus? He's gone. We are still here. Jews and Christians. We're still here. 
worshiping together. Where are the Crusades? They are gone. Where are the Nazis? They're gone. We are still here. Amen? We are still here sharing the hope that's found in the words of the Gospel. Sharing the hope that's conveyed to us from those ancient texts of our Jewish forebears. Sharing the hope as we anticipate the coming of Christ. And I guess that's my second point is that it's getting better, to be honest. I think we have realized some of our hope. And I know in a, in a world where a place that tries to help the poorest women among us is attacked for it. I know in a world where that happens, it's hard to imagine that things are getting better. I know in a world where uh, you know, people are on their third and fourth and fifth tour of duty overseas fighting wars that last forever. I know in a world where Jews and Palestinians still are not getting along, it just seems like hope is lost and things are going downhill. But to be honest, we live in the least violent time of all of human history. And it wasn't long ago when me and Shirley had to drink out of different fountains. I think things are better these days, amen? Wasn't long ago, women couldn't vote. I think things are getting a little better. <laughs> it wasn't long ago when baptizing people in a pool of water in the middle of church would have got you burned at the stake. Christians beating up each other. Burned at the stake. It was something we treat very casually at times. Well, things have gotten different. The hope is in Christ. Here, today, Emmanuel with us. God is with us. The hope is in the empowerment that has come through the words of the Gospel, through the Holy Spirit, through our connection to God and our connection to each other that has inspired us and the generations before to say, no, this world can be and ought to be and will be a better place, more akin to the way God intended it to be. The world, as Jesus said, that is the kingdom of God, that is a world the way it would be if God were in charge and not Caesar, and God were in charge and not Hitler, and God were in charge and not you fill in the blank. <laughs> Wall Street. Amen. We have said enough. And we continue. And we go on. And we are still here. We suffer. Rome still takes over once in a while. Uh, we hurt and we struggle. And yet Paul hit it on the nail, hit the nail on the head when he said, "You know, suffering 
produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint for those who are filled with the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Amen? In this Advent, as we approach the realization of our hope in the birth of Christ as we celebrate it together, I invite us all to look around, find the ways in which hope has paid off in this world. It's a lot slower than we want. And yet, we're still here. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we come to you today acknowledging hope realized so often. And even as we despair, even as we suffer, even as we look around and we wonder where is God and where is hope, you know that you come to us you reveal new things to us. And you point us in a direction that says things are going to get better. May we be agents of that hope in this hurt and broken world. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.